Hi, everyone. It's been a while, but welcome back to Tales from the Booth. I'm Rob Adams. Today is kind of a different show. We're going to do a broadcast that normally would be my radio show called Doubleheader on WGCH Radio. So we're going to run that today because of the stories that went on in the past week and most notably due to the passing of Kobe Bryant. So sit back and relax and enjoy this edition of Tales from the Booth, which is my radio show called Doubleheader that airs on WGCH Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Doubleheader. Um, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not live today. Um, this is being recorded, in fact, Sunday night. Uh, I've had some stuff going on personally where I've not been able to get to the show. Um, you know, some health in the family that we're, we're dealing with. Uh, but I couldn't let what went on really over this last week, because I've wanted to talk to you about everything. Eli Manning retiring, Derek Jeter getting into the Hall of Fame, missing by a single vote and all that. But all that, I figured, could wait till I made it back. And then came the news that Kobe Bryant had died in a helicopter crash on Sunday afternoon. And... As I'm sitting here tonight, I've obviously had several hours to ponder things. But it is one of the most significant stories, I think, of recent memory, if not of my time. Because you're, you're seeing a world-class athlete, not just a great player, but a world-class athlete that transcended so much of sports. And he'd won an Oscar after leaving the NBA, and you could see he was going to, he was going to be a force after leaving the NBA. Like I said, he already won an Oscar. That's what Kobe was and would be. And look, Kobe was brash, sometimes obnoxious, came out to join the NBA Believing as a kid straight out of high school that he belonged, and the, and the fact was he did. There were the rape allegations of 17 years ago in Colorado that obviously is part of his legacy. Uh, there were never any charges. He did admit some wrongdoing in cheating on his wife, but his marriage seemed to be strong. So he was flawed, for sure. But Kobe left a legacy, a remarkable legacy. And so this passing is not just anything. This one is, this is Thurman Munson. This is Lou Gehrig. This is that level of shocking story. Though Magic Johnson's still very much with us, it still has that feeling of the off-the-court kind of, oh my God, what did we just hear when Mag Magic Johnson announced he was HIV positive? 
which is hard to believe coming up on 30 years. So we've all been processing it for hours and processing it the way that it came out. And before I dig too much deeper, I want to make sure that I highlight that obviously Brian's daughter was on this helicopter, his 13-year-old daughter, known as Gigi. Orange Coast College baseball coach John Altabelli also died. His wife Carrie and daughter Alyssa among the crash victims, as I mentioned, Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter Gianna. There was one name that came out late tonight, and I saw it just coming across. But really we know five confirmed now. And there are nine total at last check. So I want to make sure we remember all of them as best as we can. Obviously the headline is going to be Kobe and his daughter. But five confirmed. Nine lives overall have been lost in a helicopter crash on Sunday uh, outside of Los Angeles. So processing this is still going to take some time, I think, for all of us. In L.A., he was a god. But really, around the game, he was a god. So well regarded. Again, transcending. Derek Jeter writing a piece about him tonight, that they were friends on the Players' Tribune. And I had wondered if we would hear from Jeter, and we did. Kobe has been heard, or rather, I'm sorry. Shaq has been heard from about Kobe. Kareem. Michael Jordan. So many people have been heard from. His name was mentioned quite a bit during the Grammys tonight, which of all things took place at Staples Center, which of course is where he really for the last 14 or 15 years of his career had some of his most famous moments. That was his home. There's just so much to think about tonight. And... You know, that old saying about hug your loved ones, certainly that's all true tonight. And just enormous sadness, not just in sports, but around the world tonight at the loss of what really was an icon. You know, there are some people that become one name, Babe, the Babe. Outside of sports, there's Madonna. Share, people like that. In sports, there's Kareem, Magic, Kobe. Kobe, only 41. It's just unfathomable still tonight. And, and look, I'm not going to try to be fake here. I was never the biggest Kobe fan. I'm certainly not the biggest Laker fan. But you recognize the magnitude. The guy was an all-time great. Third most points until LeBron broke his record just Saturday night. Broke his mark Saturday night. And the devastation now that Kobe Bryant is gone at just the age of 41. It's it's still, it's a very tough thing 
to figure out as we sit here today. I started talking about how it was reported. And, you know, we haven't had a breaking story like this in some time. And I think of some of the stories that we've had and how they get reported. And and I'm always a student of that. If you know me, you know I, I study the media in that regard. And we in the media didn't have the best day. Um, when the story hit, even then, there was the fact of it hadn't truly been confirmed by the major news sources. And that's where I think we've got to get over ourselves. TMZ was the first reported, and there's been great consternation throughout Sunday about TMZ reporting it when they did. The fact is, in the media... We try to do things to the best of our ability. And believe me, I do. I know not everybody does, but I try. You get a story, and then there's an adrenaline rush, and you want to report it. And sometimes you you have to show a little bit of restraint. But TMZ had this story. It was released to them. Someone told them. Blame the source at that point. I realize TMZ's methods aren't always the best. But they get this stuff right. The established media sees them as a as a threat. And for good reason. But TMZ had it right. So I really didn't hesitate to report it once they did. And that was at about 2.45 on Sunday. For whatever reason, ESPN, who is also a partner with the NBA, remember the NBA finals run on ABC, but they call themselves ESPN Sports, or ESPN on ABC. I thought ESPN would be the place to go. They had the Pro Bowl. The Pro Bowl. On two channels. On ESPN and on ABC. Somewhere, I want to think, somebody in their right mind would have said, you know what, today's not the day for the Pro Bowl. Let's shift it over. I realize the NFL can't cancel the game. That's not appropriate. There are people who want to be there. But take the game and leave it on ABC and move the Kobe news over to ESPN. Do your job. I hope to find out the NFL wasn't behind that. Because it was tough for all parties involved. It it was obvious some of the players were struggling. Look, I'm not a big fan of Joe Tessitore and Booger McFarland as a broadcast booth. But even they had an impossible time processing all of it. And they clearly had the news and weren't reporting it until 3.02 on Sunday afternoon. Again, TMZ had basically gotten the word out around 2.45. And it took a long time for a lot of outlets to start reporting it. So I wasn't impressed in that part of the reporting of the story. And then what really sickened me was the beginning of the discussion about Kobe's children. Kobe and Vanessa's children. At one point, reports were building that all of their children 
were on the helicopter. And the early report was five were dead. Not nine, five. Do the math. Kobe, four kids. Hard to say. So I held off personally on reporting the children's piece. And my phone continues to blow up, as you probably just heard. This story just continuing to resonate everywhere. But the the reporting on, those are children, man. Get that stuff right. And then at one point, there was a report that came out from another reporter saying that the wife and children weren't on the helicopter. And then as we found out, indeed, one child. And I'm a dad. And I'm sure many of you are parents as well. It's soul-crushing. It's just brutal to hear about. She seemed to be the young Mamba, 13-year-old. Confident enough to say, I'm going to take Dad's legacy. And I'm going to go play at UConn eventually. And then I'm going to go take the WNBA by storm. Or whatever she wanted to do. Seemed like the sky was the limit for that young lady. And tonight she's gone. As I record this, I should say. It's just an awful story. Heartbreaking. And I know I'm not breaking any new ground in what I'm saying. I'm almost commiserating tonight out of therapy. And for a show you'll hear on Monday on Doubleheader. I still don't have the words tonight. And... It's a career that was remarkable. We know about the 81 points in Toronto. What he did at the Garden. What he did in his last game. The free throws on the busted Achilles. The championships, the points, the great shots. He was charismatic. There's so much. A 41 years old. Just an absolutely... It's... I keep saying to friends, it's a, it's a day we won't forget. We just will not forget. Sorry if I didn't break any new ground, like I said, with what, I, what I'm talking about here, but I thought maybe we could just commiserate. And if the spirit keeps moving me, then we'll continue. If not, we'll hit some other things on this uh, this edition. But I thought it was important to talk with you today, even if I am recording this Sunday night, because I still have some things to tend to. And I hope to get back to doing the show consistently. Um, I've been around to do games, but not really around the radio station at all, other than to pop in and talk with Tony on Friday morning. So we'll take a break. We'll continue. Um don't know that I can think of too many other darker days in sports than this. There there have been some really dark days. I'm not saying otherwise. I mentioned Thurman, Roberto Clemente, a lot of others, but still, the Marshall plane crash, things like that. 
but this is a tough one. Even if you weren't the biggest Kobe fan, like me. All right, we're back right after this. Doubleheader continues in a moment. Welcome back to this uh, rather unique edition of Doubleheader. As we, uh, as I pick up the recording, because that's what I'm doing on this this uh, edition. I'm actually, it's Monday morning now, so you know, just give you a little idea of what's going on as we try to uh, get a show together. Because I, I thought it was important for us to get together for this show. Um, if time allows, we'll go back to Kobe. Obviously, that story is going to hang around for a while, and 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 there will be there will be layers to it. You know, there's a point you get tired of it too. We're all in shock right now, and then eventually you do hit that point where you go, "Okay, I get it." You know, the, I have friends that we still joke about Prince, for instance. You know, the the fuss made when when he passed. So. Um, It'll be interesting to see how this story continues to develop. Let's continue on because so much happened in the week while I was out and Eli Manning retiring being one of them. I was surprised that Eli walked away. I really was. Um, I, I thought Eli had the competitive spirit and the fire to give it a go somewhere else. Uh, it was obvious that his time with the Giants was up. And there could be a market for him. Uh, he still had what to me were pretty good skills. I, I realize, you know, I realize a lot of Eli could be hit or miss, but you think about it, 2018, he threw for 4,300 yards. That's not that long ago. 21 touchdown passes. So Eli certainly could have continued somewhere else. That's also the question of whether or not he would have been looking for a starting job or a backup. Now, we have to deal with his legacy. And much has come into debate about is he a Hall of Famer or not. I'll say it right out front. He is a Hall of Famer to me. You've won two Super Bowl MVPs. You've won two Super Bowls. One against, well, an all-time team that came up short. And you shut them down. So nobody will talk about the, the, the Patriots as the all-time greatest team because they didn't go perfect. Why didn't, why weren't they perfect? Eli Manning, Tom Coughlin, Michael Strahan, and those New York football giants. They shut them down. And it was Manning who engineered the game-winning drive. As, you know, quarterbacks get that credit. It's the nature of the beast. Uh, obviously you have to remember the big catch in the middle of that, the helmet catch, which was part luck and part Eli scrambling out of that to make that throw. So all that has to be considered as well. I understand one game does not make a Hall of Fame career. Rarely it does. Maybe it did in the case of Joe Namath, and I'm not even sure that's truly fair. But Eli, to me, is a Hall of Famer. Um, I realize the... Stats aren't the prettiest of pretty. His record in his career, yes, there's a spottiness to it. You can't, you can judge a quarterback up to a point on wins and losses. But as I've always said, if we're going to judge quarterbacks purely on wins, then we're going to drop the mic at, at Otto Graham and walk away. Who's still better than Brady. Anyway, 
He threw for 366 touchdowns. I know he threw a lot of INTs. He never led the league in touchdown passes. He led the league in interceptions three times. Yeah, he threw INTs. Quarterbacks are going to throw them, especially ones that don't run system offenses. Ones that are a little more riverboat gambler are going to do that. Brett Favre was like that in a different era. You'd be talking about guys like Bradshaw and so on. And, you know, I heard someone say this the other day. Well, Terry Bradshaw only threw 212 touchdowns. That's true. He also threw 210 interceptions. Don't compare what Terry Bradshaw or Ken Stabler or... Bob Greasy or Roger Staubach or Joe Namath are doing back in the 70s to Eli Manning coming through the early stages of the 2000s into the 2010s. It's ridiculous. It's a totally different game. So you can't have that conversation about Eli Manning. But Eli did have Hall of Fame years. As we said, two Super Bowl MVPs, two Super Bowl titles. He threw for four, over 4,000 yards... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven times, I think. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. Um, he had a, he had to me a good career. Not always the best team around them. Not always. Some actually pretty bad teams. A three and twelve year in 2017. Five and eleven in 2018. Six and tens and a nine and seven, uh, 2013, 14 and 15. Yeah, had 11 and five and 16. Had a lot of years that, you know, the Giants weren't necessarily the best team to be found. But they did go 12 and four in 2008. And as I said, they went, uh, 11 and five another year. They went 11 and five also in 2005. So, I think you gotta be, you gotta see Eli a little more fair than that, in my opinion. And, uh, I, I think he's a Hall of Famer. I, I think, I think those saying he's not a Hall of Famer are actually the butthurt Patriot fans, if you wanna know the truth. Um, Patriot fans are never gonna get over it. Heck, even Tom Brady, even with tongue in cheek, Tom Brady's never gonna get over losing two Super Bowls to Eli Manning. That's all there is to it. And the Patriot fan is, the Patriot fan can't deal with, uh, any lack of success. They're gonna have to learn that. And they still haven't all these years later after losing that Super Bowl back in 42. So, I, I put Eli in the Hall of Fame personally. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying he's gonna waltz in. I'm not saying it's gonna be easy for him. But I do think he's, I think ultimately he's going to make it. Um, because I, I think the resume is there. Now, look, I'll deal with what might be an elephant in the room, and that is the Manning family. The Manning family doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. They're, you know, I think it's fair to say they're the first family of football. And Peyton, obviously, is an all-time great, deserves that accolade, Deserves to be considered top 10, even top 5 quarterbacks. Um, I still say put Brady on the, or put Manning on the Patriots, and the ledger is just as good. You know, he was not this choke artist that he, that he sometimes gets made out to be. Sometimes he, he carried those Colts teams. 
it's a great family. Archie was a great player. A lot of us always felt bad at the way Archie got treated or, you know, the way his career went just because he played with such bad teams. They're lovable. They're funny. They're charming. They make good commercials as a family, all that other stuff. I realize that that character aspect is going to give Eli a boost. But I still think at the end of the day, those in the room, the committee that elects the Pro Football Hall of Fame, has the smarts to sit there and go, all right, charm aside, he was a heck of a football player. And I think he was a heck of a football player. I realize if there's a question in your mind, he's not a Hall of Famer. And that's why I said it right at the top. I, I Again, Yes, there are some years that are, you know, sort of shaky. I don't deny that. But there are some years that are really good. Um, yeah, he threw double-digit interceptions every year from 05 to 18. I get that. But also threw 30 touchdown passes and 40 INT, or 14 INTs in 2014. I, I understand 13 was not good, 18 touchdowns, 27 INTs, but you got to consider all the pieces. And all the pieces include a lot of good. And those two Super Bowls very largely in the, uh, in the career of Eli Manning. And the legacy of those two Super Bowls are, gonna, are going to be what carries him Five years, I don't know. Might take a lot longer. But time is a way of doing that. If time is good to Eli Manning, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. And I and I, I honestly think that's all there is to it. Wish we could take calls today on this edition. Uh, but because I'm recording, it's a little tough to do. So more to do. We'll step out and take a break. Still Derek Jeter to deal with. The Hall of Fame in baseball and... Uh, I guess we got, we'll eventually cycle our way back to Kobe Bryant on this, um, this incredible time in sports. Doesn't mean it's the happiest of times, but it means it's rather incredible. All right. We're back after this. Doubleheader continues. 1490, 105.5 WGCH. Welcome back to Doubleheader. I'm Rob Adams. Glad you're along for the ride. Um, Derek Jeter made the Hall of Fame last week. Now, that was obviously not a shock. And it happened about as easily as it did. He is going into Cooperstown this July as the position player with the highest voting percentage in history. He missed on one ballot. We still don't know why that one ballot went the way it did. We don't know if... Balloting works like this. If you turn in the ballot and it's empty, blank, you filled nobody out, that's counted as a strike against the player in the percentage. If the ballot is not turned in, it doesn't count. So the writer in question either voted for somebody else, didn't vote for anybody at all, we don't know. You know, and I've heard different theories such as, uh, 
you know, maybe maybe this writer thought, oh, Jeter had enough other votes and he would vote for other players. Who on that ballot? What ten on that ballot did you think were were more deserving of a vote than Derek Jeter? To me, Hall of Fame voting is very simple. When you look at all the pieces, and this is for any sport, this is for anything in life, in fact, because there are so many Halls of Fame now, when you look at this player, are they a Hall of Famer or not? It's that simple. Now, I've got Derek Jeter's stats in front of me. A 20-year career, 3,465 hits. That's an insane number of hits. Sixth all-time. That's a Hall of Famer right there. Right there. Before you even get to anything else he did in his career. He wasn't a high-power guy. His career high was 24 and 99. He topped 20 two other times, 2001 and 2004. He hit 19 in 2005. He was a double-digit Hall of Fame, a uh, double-digit home run guy, generally speaking. Lots of years of, you know, 10 and 15 and 18, but never high power. That wasn't his thing. And that's really what helped him in terms of any steroids discussion, which there never really was about him. Anytime the word steroids came up next to Derek Jeter's name was when you'd say, well, X player is, and the person would say, well, how do you know Jeter isn't? The eye test told you. And believe me, a lot of people's faith will be destroyed if it turns out differently. There are plenty of Hall of Fame years in, in here. When when you look at his career, 2004, he had 44 doubles, 23 home runs. And was worthy of a, of a, of a, uh, MVP vote that year. As it was, he was third in 98, sixth in 99 in the MVP voting, second in 2006. That's the one that I thought was a crime. He lost to Justin Morneau. Uh, 2006. 214 hits, 39 doubles, 14 homers, 97 runs batted in. And he came in second. Rookie of the year in 96. Look, people get on Jeter because he won no MVPs. That is a false way to go about things. If that's the case, then there are a lot of players we're not, we're not putting in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame, or the MVP can be a fairly arbitrary process. It, it, comes down to a matter of opinion and human nature. And I'm willing to bet if we were to go back in history, some MVP votes would be changed. Possibly taking away awards from people, because what the heck were we thinking at that time? Analytics have changed, blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying Jeter would have won an MVP. Look, Mariano never won a Cy Young award. He too came up short. So I don't think it's, I think it's ridiculous if you're going to put MVPs into that discussion as a demerit. You want to use it on the plus side of the ledger, I get that. I get that. But Justin Morneau, for instance, is never going to the Hall of Fame. He won that MVP in 2006. You gotta think these things through. He got hit for the gold glove stuff because he won gold gloves that people felt he didn't deserve. 
He had no range, supposedly. Look, I saw so many of his games. The guy played 2,747 games. I'm not telling you I saw all 2,747, but I saw a lot of Derek Jeter baseball on TV and in person and heard plenty more on the radio. The eye test was there. He was a Hall of Famer. So I don't know that we're even disputing that. And look, whether or not he was unanimous is a nice cherry on the Sunday, but really not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. But I would like to know why. I'd just be curious to know, what made this one person not vote for him? I think it'd be, I, I think it would be an utterly fascinating conversation to have. And, and I don't know if there's any true defense. Here's the other thing about unanimous voting. Because I really dug into this rabbit hole quite a bit. Hall of Fame voting began in 1936. That was the first year. And five players made it, Babe Ruth being one of them. And that's one of the great arguments. Well, if Derek Jeter, if Babe Ruth wasn't unanimous, how can Derek Jeter be unanimous? It's a stupid false equivalency. I'm sorry. I hate to use the word stupid. I've been trying not to use such terms throughout those debates. But it is, you're not thinking. Simply because Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, Mickey Mantle, Ken Griffey Jr., Johnny Bench, or anyone else weren't unanimous doesn't mean Derek Jeter shouldn't be, or Mariano Rivera shouldn't be. You have to look at a ballot in a given year, and it really all you're doing is comparing that player to that player. Again, the question, is that player a Hall of Famer? Yes or no? Derek Jeter's a Hall of Famer. Should he have gotten every single vote? Again, at the end of the day, we're not going to lose sleep over this. And I haven't lost a wink. I've lost plenty of sleep over other stuff, not over this. But I do lose sleep over people not using logic and actually being dumb in talking about this stuff. Don't compare Babe Ruth in 1936 to Derek Jeter in 2020. It's not the same thing. There were writers in 1936, I believe the number was 11, who didn't vote for Ruth. Why? Because he had just retired in 1935, and some felt it was too soon. These things take time. And the mind of a 1936 sports writer isn't the same as one in 1950, 60, or right on through to today. You have to use logic in this stuff. There are a variety of reasons, some real, some idiotic, as to why certain players didn't get votes. Willie Mays was not unanimous. And Willie Mays probably should have been. There probably should have been some some unanimous vote-getters over the years. Ruth and Cobb, Christy Mathewson, Mays, Aaron, maybe a Tom Seaver, Junior Griffey. I agree with all that. But for one reason or another, people left them off their ballot somehow. And there were reasons such as there was this really dumb concept that nobody should be unanimous. Well, why? What would the reason have been behind that? 
There is no reason. And sometimes, frankly, and look, I don't throw this word around, there might have been hints of racism in there, depending on the player. Or you ticked off a writer somehow. And again, these are writers doing these votes. They have opinions. And they have grudges. And they hold them pretty well. Why do you think Ted Williams was not a unanimous Hall of Famer? So that's really what that whole kerfuffle was about. Would have been great to see Jeter be unanimous. He's not. He missed by a vote. At the end of the day, they'll hold no different ceremony for Derek Jeter in July. He's still going in the Hall of Fame, like it or not. And he's in. The other guy who made it was Larry Walker, the former Expo and now uh, a former Colorado Rocky as well. He's putting a Rockies cap on his plaque, which I say he's putting. In truth, the Hall of Fame makes that decision now. Um, the decision-making process on what goes on the plaque has changed over the years, thanks in part to a couple of things. One being Wade Boggs, who uh, had apparently struck a deal with the Tampa Bay Rays, who he played a year for, that if he put a Rays logo on his plaque, there was some kind of incentive to be had. He'd made some kind of a deal. And Dave Winfield, apparently, was negotiating Yankees versus Padres for his Hall of Fame plaque and ultimately went with the Padres, um, which never seemed to be the right call, but, hey, your mileage may vary. So Larry Walker, whom many of us would have liked to have seen with an Expos logo on his plaque, and I think all because our hearts are with the Expos, he's going to go with the Rockies, and I can't say that's the wrong thing. I mean, in Colorado, he played 10 years there. He only played six in Montreal. 10 years in Colorado. Look, he's going to get the boost of being a Coors Field player. That's all there is to it. But he was still a good player away from Coors Field. 334 with the Rockies in that time, uh, 258 home runs. I don't get hung up on, on war and whatnot, so, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not gonna say those stats aren't legitimate, they are. I just don't read them as much. I still look at the old benchmarks of my youth. But I, I, Walker snuck up to me as, snuck up on me as a Hall of Famer. I'm not sure I saw it. Because again, one MVP, uh, seventh in the rookie of year, the year voting in 90. And that one MVP was the only time he was top five. And that was 1997. Let's see what he did in 97. 40, uh, 208 hits, 46 doubles, 49 home runs, 130 runs batted in. So a 30-30 year because he stole 33 bases. By the way, a career high. The only time he ever came close was 29 back in 1993. Uh, he hit 366. That's a great year. His OPS was 1.172. Led the league in that. That's a great year. No question. And there are a lot of good years. Uh, so I, I again, don't get crazy about Larry Walker being a Hall of Famer. I think it's fine. Um, and he's a good personality. Who doesn't like him? 
you know, who doesn't like Larry Walker? So I, I think it's a, I think it's a good call to get Larry Walker in the Hall of Fame. Um, guy had a good career. Guy had a very good career. He, uh, he only got to the World Series once. Postseason in 95 with the Rockies. 04 and 05 with the Cardinals and made the World Series in, uh, 2004. He went for 5 for 14 in that series and hit two home runs. But of course the, uh, the Cardinals got smoked by the Red Sox that year. Absolutely smoked. So, Larry Walker's a Hall of Famer. Good for him. Um, Schilling missed out. And look, it's a character clause thing. That's all there is to it with Schilling. Schilling has run his mouth. Uh, he has shown himself to not be the highest quality of guy. But again, that's not why we put people in the Hall of Fame. And I'm not a Schilling fan. I'm not. Everyone raves about him as a postseason pitcher. Never forget, if Mariano doesn't melt down in Game 7 in 2001, Kurt Schilling is the losing pitcher in Game 7 of that World Series. He gets out-dueled, and the Yankees win that World Series. Instead, Schilling goes on and wins a co-MVP, which was one of the dumbest co-MVP votings I've ever seen, I've ever seen. Randy Johnson was, was the MVP of that World Series. But that's one thing at the end of the day. Uh, I can go through and tell you why Schilling maybe couldn't be or is borderline, but the truth is he probably should be. And it's really just his character clause and his idiocy off the field and comments that he made that have run him out of baseball and run him out of the good graces. I think he still makes it, probably next year. And then that brings us to the steroid guys. I don't have a problem with them getting in. Again, there are no positive tests, and we're talking about Clemens and Bonds, and we were all complicit in cheering for them at the time. Not so much Bonds. You know, I think we all knew once Bonds started hitting home runs like they were beach balls, I think we knew something was up. I think we were all pretty pot. I know I was. Because I know I just scowled when he set the single season record. But I also scowled when McGuire did it. Because I saw the bottles of Andro. They weren't illegal at the time. But I saw them. They were real. And I certainly was not thrilled when Bonds passed Aaron for the all-time home run record. But a lot of people in San Francisco love him. Point is, there's a, a certain level of being complicit to all this. And we already know there are steroids users in there. There, there are. And we have to move past that. And I think we've gotta, we've gotta get over it. Um, there are ways to put these guys in the Hall of Fame and put it on their plaques. Maybe not come right, you can't come right out and say they were steroids users because they didn't fail tests, uh, in the case of Bonds and Clemens, but you can phrase it as such. You can phrase things in a certain way. That's why I think Pete Rose should be in with, 
some kind of a mark on it. And Shoeless Joe Jackson as well. And look, if you want to wait till Pete's gone so he can't make a speech, that's fine. But you know what? You can dock him from having a speech right now. Anyway, the Hall of Fame is a whole, and I know I'm getting long here. So um, let's take our last break. We'll come back, put a wrap on a unique show for sure. Back with more Doubleheader after this. 105.5, 1490, WGCH. Welcome back to what's almost an historic show. Uh, not the show, but, you know, a show looking back at an historic time, especially now with the passing of, uh, of Kobe Bryant and his daughter and seven others, uh, including a baseball coach and members of his family, um, on that helicopter in California yesterday. And, you know, there's plenty of local stuff going on. Greenwich hockey's playing very well. Greenwich girls hockey, Greenwich basketball, um, Brunswick. I saw Brunswick basketball win a great game. Two really good games, but one great game um, against Salisbury on Saturday. Uh, so a clutch play. They were down 15, down big in the second half as well, and they raged all the way back and um, and won by a point. And I, there was a certain level of exhaustion when that one was over because just wonderful basketball uh, by the Brunswick Bruins on Saturday. So congratulations to them. That's and they were missing two really big pieces of their lineup in um, Kari Wilson, who had a wrist injury, and Tristan Joseph, who's been out for a while. And uh, Kari was out for that game on Saturday. And even I wound up thinking, how do they win this game? And not only could they win it? They did win it. So congratulations um, to, you know, all the local teams. Uh, Bob Horton writing in the Greenwich Time about why do, why does Cardinal Stadium need to be redone? Uh, go go there. Just go there. No restrooms. Uh, bleachers that, you know, have come under a lot of scrutiny. Um, it's pretty well known that the facilities for athletics in Greenwich are... I don't want to say substandard, though some will. Um, Hamill Rink, which will host the FCAC Championship again for hockey. Uh, I mean, come on. Come on, guys. Come on, Bob. This stuff needs to be done, actually. And, and, I, and I know there's a certain facet of the world that goes, well, athletics is terrible. We waste too much money on athletics. They built a big performing arts center. Normally, it's the arts people who get mad. Well, there's a big performing arts center. And what it, what happened there? It was built in such a way that there's still leakage problems onto the court at Greenwich High School in the gym. And the basketball team has to play their games on the road. So there's local stuff going on. It's just been a wild time. And I'm sorry I haven't been around with you. Um, I... I am dedicated to this show, and believe me, if I could record a show every day so I could still stay in touch, I would. Then I get grief for not doing a Facebook Live show, but that's a whole different thing. Um, but I did want to try to connect with you today because as someone who considers himself a sports historian, 
this was an historic week and really yesterday an historic day. The death of Kobe Bryant, who obviously is the one we're going to talk about most of all, at the age of 41, just barely after the end of his basketball career, is it's a mind-blowing day. Um, even for the those who weren't the biggest fans, and again, as I said at the top of the show, I wasn't. So it's really just a crazy day to think about. And um, all I can do is put it in these terms. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. My son, not the biggest sports fan. He knew who Kobe was. Because everyone had a tendency to take whatever it was, a rolled up paper towel, a rolled up napkin, a newspaper. And when you shot it into the garbage can, you'd say, Kobe. And when I just finished doing the dishes... And I threw that paper towel in the garbage. Even I said Kobe. Thanks for listening to this edition of Doubleheader. Um, Like I said, a rather unique one, considering I'm sitting on my couch on Monday morning doing this. I'll be back with you as soon as I can. Like I said, things are a little crazy, but we'll be back with you as soon as I can. Thanks to everybody. Thanks to all of you for listening. For the whole gang, I'm Rob Adams. We'll see you next time on Doubleheader on 105.5 and 1490. WGC Tales from the Booth was written and produced by Rob Adams. All copyrights and credits for the audio used on this show belongs to their rightful owners, though many are now in the public domain. Theme music, Swing Has Swung, is by Shane Ivers. Find out more online at silvermansound.com. This program is copyright 2019, Robcasting Radio and Robcasting Media. All rights reserved. Thank you.